The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Turning Hard Times into Good Times, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, I'd like to remind you each and every week, I also am the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And uh, for the next couple of weeks or so yet, Chen Lin uh, remains as a partner of mine. He publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? There will be some changes with Chen Lin's uh, service as we start the new year, and uh, well, uh, subscribers will be alerted to that, of course. But uh, Chen will remain as a good friend of mine, and we will remain uh, professional partners uh, in one way or another. But there will be some changes. Uh, so, up until the end of this year, though, you can subscribe uh, to Chen Lin's newsletter by going to miningstocks.com. You can uh, subscribe to my letter or Chen's at miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York at 718 457. Uh, one four two six. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it uh, one of the more important, uh, one of the more well listened to shows on the Voice America Business Channel, and for sure, I think it's one of the more important ones. Um, but in any event, um, we want to also encourage you to keep your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises coming along to t- to uh, questions for Taylor at gmail dot com. Questions for Taylor at gmail dot com. And we uh, also uh, want to thank our sponsors for today's show for making this show economically possible. Um, Klondike Gold and RN Resources are today's sponsors. Um, this uh, Today I titled the show, Why Gold is Nearing an Upside Breakout. And I'm very pleased to have with me once again Andrew McGuire. Uh, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me as well in the second segment. And just in a moment or two, Michael Oliver uh, will chime in as well. Uh, Michael uh, always has a, a lot of important things to say in the near term and in the intermediate term, and uh, he has provided a great deal of insight and comfort to me over the last couple of years, uh, so really pleased to have him with us again. Uh, in the uh, second segment today, as I just mentioned, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me, and he is the president and CEO of what is my favorite junior gold exploration company, Novo Resources, uh, and then in about a half an hour, 
about a half past the hour, I'll be speaking with uh, world-famous precious metals trader Andrew McGuire, who is known for blowing the whistle on the big banks uh, who have been manipulating the gold and silver markets, as uh, the gold antitrust action people have been telling us for many years, and certainly a lot of evidence to that to that extent. Well, those of us on the long side of the gold market have been uh, somewhat disappointed by the price action following the election. You know, the impulse of the markets, as soon as it became apparent Donald Trump would win, uh, was to send gold dramatically higher, and the Dow was sent lower by some six or 800 points. It was pretty dramatic. But then just as suddenly, both markets seemed to reverse course, and ever since, we have been seeing a very weak gold price and an excessively exuberant equity market. It's so it seems excessively exuberant to me and a lot of other people. Well, Andrew actually sees the current weakness in the gold market as laying the groundwork for a massive move to the upside. And uh, while Andrew will provide some of us with uh, some knowledge of the gold share fundamentals, it's really good to have Michael with me now uh, to get his take on these on these gold markets and debt markets and equity markets. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Great to be here, Jake. You know, uh, yesterday you put out a, a really interesting piece on the T-bond market, and you've been following the T-bond market. I've been following what you're saying with bated breath. Every time I see the T-bond market headline come in in my inbox, I want to read it because I know how important this market is. Long-dated U.S. Treasuries are, are certainly, you know, one of the most important markets, if not the most important market in the world, and, and it changes directions, major directions, very, very slowly. I mean, I remember... When we started this bull market in the T-bond back in the early 80s, Michael, and I'd like to remind people that my first mortgage was a 17.5% mortgage. And then, of course, we've had this long and wonderful bull market if you're owning T-bonds. Um, however, your work recently suggested that we are entering probably a major turn, a, mar- a major bear market turn. I have that right, don't I? Well, you got it right, yes. And um, it's... Uh I suspect it's a long-term trend change as well. The uh, And it got excessive at the end, just like any bull markets, not any, but a lot of bull markets get excessive at the end. They go into blow-off phases, you know, where they're vertical. In the case of T-bonds, they went basically vertical, meaning yields collapsed, and we didn't go to zero like the Japanese and the Germans, but uh, or sub-zero, but, we, you know, we got close. Uh, mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's changed trend. Our, our trend change point for T-bond futures was 166 area a couple of months ago as they came down from the high 160s into the mid-160s. I broke too much long-term momentum structure going back years that said to me, okay, it's over. Now, since then, we've dropped into, the, in a matter of a few months, we've dropped into the high 140s. Right now, it's trading about 151, 150 area, slightly off the low. Uh, I think before this particular first leg of decline is over, we'll see T-bonds under under 140. Mm. But in the mid-process of this collapse that we're in right now, my shorter-term and intermediate-term stuff says beware of a very sharp counter-trend rally potential. And I think it's going to happen. It, it almost looks destined. Uh, and I, I, I change the numbers daily because the, the averages change daily that I'm measuring against. And right now, basically, bonds at 151, if you pop them up a point or two, they're going to go up. And I think they could go up sharply, like into the upper 150s. Now, that doesn't change the long-term trend. That just throws an interruption into that new trend change. But it could be sharp. Now, when you sit back and think about it, well, that's not going to happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Much like if you look at a chart of uh, 
the financial sector ETFs uh, since the point where bonds had a, uh, a sharp spike up after the election, then a collapse uh, yeah. in price. The VFH, for example, the Vanguard, uh, Vanguard Financial uh, ETF, exploded. In fact, it is the strongest sector, so I'm, picking on, I'm literally picking on the strongest sector of the stock market over the last several weeks has been financials, mm-hmm. not tech, mm-hmm. not energy. Energy has been strong all year, but violently strong has been the financials. Okay, we can come up with reasons and explanations. Fine. But it looks inverse when I run uh, momentum studies to the T-bond market. So it looks to me like the leader on the upside that we've just seen, the financial sector, is in inverse position to the T-bonds. So if I'm right about the T-bonds having a sharp counter-trend rally, it's likely, according to my work, you're going to have a sharp sell-off in the financial sector and no doubt in the market. Mm-hmm. I don't think the T-bonds will produce that rally in a void Mm-hmm. It will be connected to other rallies. I also suspect that if that occurs, which I think it will, it will be coincident with a gold rally and a euro rally, mm-hmm. meaning a dollar sell-off, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all these things are interconnected, and I've, my focus right now mostly is on that biggest of all markets, it's the T, as you said, the T-bond market. It's far right. bigger than the stock market. That monster turns for an 8- to 10-point rally. It will not occur in a void. There will oh. be connectivity. All right. Well, it certainly makes sense because, uh, you know, I mean, at least as long as people still have confidence in the dollar-based international monetary system, money will flow from the equity markets back into that, stay inside the system into the T-bonds or mm-hmm. into treasuries of one one duration mm-hmm. or another, right? So, I, I, Yes, that, that's, I, I think the connectivity there is, is too good. I think it, right now it's inverse still. In other words, stocks up, bonds down. I think that will change over the next year or so. But right now, if you get a T-bond rally, I think uh, you can, without even looking at the S&P, my bet is it would be in decline as well as the T-bonds go up. So, my, so But the, cl- the clarity of the technicals is in the bonds right now. It's super clear to me that it looks like a turn to the upside is, is literally a point or two above the, the recent highs. All right, uh, right. As you point out so so clearly in your work, and uh, folks, it's MSA OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Uh, if you really care to to get a sense of of comfort or understanding of where the the likelihood of which direction, major direction, markets are going to head, I don't know of any uh, any service that's better, at least from my perspective, than Michael's has been. Uh, showing you that uh, momentum and structure that really gives you some comfort. Well, what would be the driver here then? Would it be the equity markets finally, uh, you know, people starting to get scared for one reason or another, uh, saying taking their profits, uh, you know, would but, like you know, to have an argument mo- against that. It's so yeah. obvious that it is, you know, maybe it's wrong. Uh, nobody's going to take profits this year, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh-huh. why would you? I mean, if you're going to have a better tax year next year, then you should hold off till next year. Well, so that's right a now, good everybody who's long stocks is so comfortable that it's impossible to have a sell-off this year. Well, uh-huh. sometimes markets sell off not because of selling, but the lab absence of buying. Right. Particularly if you've been vertical for three weeks. So when you look at a price chart, for example, and if it's gone vertical and you turn it down, there's no support. There's no ledges. There's, you know, it's just thin up, thin down. So... Uh, yes, I agree. No one in his right mind would take a profit this year if he could take it in a few weeks at a better tax advantage. But, mm-hmm. uh, that argument is, is a nice argument, but it doesn't take selling to take a market down. Right, and I, buying. Yeah. right, I saw, in fact, somewhere this morning uh, notice that, in fact, there's almost 
a, a record small amount of cash on the sidelines from the from the big funds and so forth. So who knows? Oh, well, really, I didn't know that. It's interesting. Yeah, so that so that would be you know going along with what you're saying. Who knows for sure? I mean, which, uh, sometimes it's best. You know, you're right well, to stay on the right side of the market until you're wrong, and so who knows? Well, there's a but, problem with a sell-off in the market right now, and that's this. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we change quarter and change year, which is in you know, hand, a couple handfuls of days, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the numbers that I use to measure annual momentum, quarterly momentum, will change dramatically, such that right now we're trading in the 2260s, 2270s on the S&P. Uh, you better not get it back to 2200 or lower next year. I'm talking about three percentage points, actually uh-huh. less. Uh, if you get a sell-off that causes you to be back to 2200 or lower in the new quarter, in the new year, uh-huh. you stuck your foot through some stuff that could, could uh-huh. pull you down. So uh, it's one thing to have a near-term sell-off. The other is when does it occur and does it domino into larger factors? And there's the uh-huh. distinct potential that that could happen as well. Wow, with a mere 3%, which isn't hard yeah, to well, imagine. 60 points. <laughs> 60 you know, points. any kind of disappointments that, uh, in Donald Trump's promises uh, could easily uh, achieve that, I would think. But who knows? Well, Michael, one more question before we let you go. Gold has been languishing, you know, in this happy, uh, in this happy moment for Donald Trump, this honeymoon experience mm-hmm. uh, that he's having. And the markets are, you know, have become very exuberant, it seems. Um, gold hasn't done so well. What? sort of level in gold would you be looking at to say well maybe maybe i'm not maybe i was wrong in being as bullish as i was and then what uh, would you well, do we got if, bullish at 1140 to 1160 now we got bullish also in gdx at 15 and a half right now yeah. it's 2021 okay so it's holding <laughs> much better than the gold is itself and we emphasize gdx the, the miners as opposed to bullion but 1138 monthly close on gold i don't want to see that but in barring that uh i I remain positive. Uh, that would cause me to go to major neutral, not negative. Okay. Uh, oh, I don't okay. Expect, I don't expect it. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think if the bonds turn, probably the euro turns. Watch the euro very carefully next year. Right now it's trading in the 106s, 107 zone. It's been as low as 105. If you see it at 108 next year, it's coming out of here, upside. Mm-hmm. And the dollar is going downside. So that's another mm-hmm. potential positive for gold. Watch also the Bloomberg Commodity Index. It doesn't know that gold pulled back. Mm-hmm. It's near the highs of the year. Commodities are broken out on annual momentum. How come that's going on if we're deflating? If gold right. is saying we're going to deflate again, how come Bloomberg Commodity Index does not know that? Yeah. Uh, and, wa- and watch the grains next year. They're going to be the leader. Well, we certainly will hope to have you around so we can keep an eye on those markets, Mike. I want to thank you again. It it's really is uh, reassuring to me in a way because you would turn only neutral if we saw that sort of unusual number at 1138. Uh, right. And in my way of thinking, it's a good time for people to start thinking of accumulating probably. You know, it never feels like accumulating at the bottom of a market. Uh, it always feels like uh, jumping on when everybody is having a party, but we know from history and from experience it's better sometimes to look the other way. And it's also better uh, to rely on people like yourself, professionals like yourself, who do some good, good honest work uh, in the markets and helping us uh, foresee the structure and the momentum in those markets. So thank you very much for being with us again, Michael. I'll look to do it again next week, hopefully if you're available. Thank you, Jay. See you then. All right, Bye-bye. folks. Uh, we do have to go to a break now when we come back. Uh, Dr. Quentin Henning, um, President and CEO of Novo Resources, my favorite gold exploration stock. Be sure to come back and listen to what Dr. Henning has to say. 
business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again, Quentin Henning. Dr. Henning is the president and CEO of Novo Resources, and Novo Resources trades in Toronto under the symbol NVO. You can buy it in the United States, as I have under the symbol NSRPF. The stock has recently traded around 71, 72 cents in U.S. money. It has reached a high of uh, around $1.40 or so in U.S. money over the past year. Uh, it's now selling at around half of that at uh, 71, 72 cents. 93 million shares outstanding, giving it a market cap of around $66 million. But the fundamentals of this company, from what I can see, are as good as ever, and it might be a good time for people to take a a look at Noble Resources. Uh, Thank you again, Quentin, for joining me. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. You know, we've talked in the past about um, Beaton's Creek. It's in northwestern Australia. This is your uh, Whitwaters Rand lookalike, and we, you know, we've talked about that a lot. And I want to get an update from you on that as well, because I know you're doing some trial mining there. But uh, also, you have a very exciting target that you're that you're putting some holes into now. Blue spec. It's the blue spec gold antimony prospect, and you're doing some drilling, and we've seen some some pretty decent drill results coming out. As a geologist, are you seeing what you hope to see there at Blue Spec, Quinton? And are you pleased with what you're seeing so far? Uh, yes, Jay. We, overall, we're very pleased with what we see so far. Um, our approach with Blue Spec is to, uh, it's really threefold, to test areas around uh, the, the known resource. This is a, an historic resource uh, that was defined by our previous company. So we're, we're testing basically around the margins of that for continuations of mineralization. And then uh, we're testing areas along strike. So basically within, say, a few hundred meters uh, along strike of those uh, defined mineralized zones. And then we're also testing a series of new, what I call greenfield targets along the, the blue spec shear zone, which is a, a much, much larger structural feature in this, uh, in this region. So uh, we have assays out recently. I think in November, we had two announcements, one earlier in the month, one near the end of the month about results, uh, mainly of the, the uh, drilling that's proximal to both blue spec and the gold spec shoot. Uh, these are two high grade shoots. Uh, the first announcement discussed extensions of high grade at blue spec. As planned, we see a continuation of the uh, mineralization uh, down plunge to the to the east. 
Uh, we had a good intercept. I think it was around 2.55 meters at something around 60 grams per ton. Mm. Uh, then over at Goldspec, more recently, we've announced some very important holes. Uh, one very notable hole was essentially down plunge about 50 or 60 meters below the, uh, the known mineralized zone. Uh, we hit an interval of 31 meters of 5.8 grams per ton, and that includes uh, a shorter interval of about four meters of, uh, I think it was around 35 grams per ton. Mm. I don't have numbers right in front of me, but you know it gives, gives listeners a sense of um, the kinds of grades we're dealing with. It's a very high-grade system. Uh, Quentin, can you give us a little sense of you, the size of these structures that you're, that you're looking at? I mean, the, the strike length of them, perhaps? Sure. These are uh, really what they are is they're very high-grade shoots that occur along a, a near-vertical structure. The near-vertical structure, you can almost think of it like, uh, say, the San Andreas Falls or something. It's a very long, continuous structure, and along that, uh, you have zones that are maybe 100 to 200 meters long, uh, and they, they plunge down into the ground, you know, very steeply, say, almost like a, a knife blade or something uh, along these structures. But these, uh, this mineralization is coming up near surface, to surface, right close to surface, right? These vertical uh, structures. Correct, yes. That's how we've discovered these new targets, for example. We found quartz, uh, gold, and antimony veins. These are at surface. And we've effectively, we drilled, you know, assuming that the, the structures are near vertical, we've drilled below those. So the assays we have back so far, very near known targets, you know, or known mineralization. The assays that will be coming back over the next few weeks are from uh, greenfield targets where we, we found new high-grade shoots. Mm. All right. Well, one of the things that's really exciting about this, I know there there has been a, a jork resource uh, by the previous owners of this property, and, and I these are really numbers that are really outstanding. I mean, we're looking at something like 220,000 ounces grading 16 grams per ton and some pretty good antimony values as well there, Quentin and I. I know these aren't 43101 numbers, so you can't really can't really talk about them, but uh, are, is it the goal of your existing program to establish some 43101 resource uh, on this project? Well, what we would like to do with this drill round is to to see if uh, Blue Spec has a critical mass. We think that uh, the project needs a, you know, about double mm-hmm. the existing historic resource mm-hmm. to kind of hit a level where, uh, you know, it becomes interesting to, to look at economics and things like that. So really this drill program that we have that we've completed here recently is to, to look at that kind of potential. Uh, so far, we do see significant uh, continuations or extensions of the high-grade shoots at Gold Spec and Blue Spec. We're hoping with the, the drilling that we've done in the Greenfield targets, these new high-grade shoots that we see, maybe two or three more of these pop up. Once we start to see a picture like that, then we can, we hope to then drill out the, the resource that you mentioned, you know, drill up a, a, a larger 43101 resource, but that would come with the next round of drilling. All right, so maybe 2017 sometime. We might see, start to see some numbers if things go uh, as you hope they do. I think it's really it's really quite exciting. Uh, this is this is something then that investors should really be keeping their eyes on. Of course, this was sort of a bonus. You know, when I first started following your company, Quentin, you didn't have the blue spec yet, uh, but I, I know you had your eyes on some of those possibilities, and when they came available, you you grabbed them. But I'd like to go back to Beaton's Creek, which was what initially attracted me to your story, and that was the sort of the, the Whitwaters-Rand look-alike or uh, geological look-alike, perhaps. Uh, do you still see it that way, Quentin? 
Yeah, yes, we do. Uh, you know, to refresh people's memory or for new listeners, um, what this is is a conglomerate hosted system. These uh, gold deposits are quite unusual uh, compared to most gold systems. They're bedded, uh, so these are nearly flat lying, you know, say one meter to two meter thick beds of conglomerate. They're very continuous sheet like deposits, almost like coal seams or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the geology we have at Beaton's Creek is quite similar to the Bitbottershrine. We know that the reefs continue into this broad, very, very old basin. Uh, but to make it very clear, you know, to those who, who you know, our new listeners say, uh, what we're tackling right now is where the reefs come out to surface. So mm-hmm. we're looking at the very, very near surface uh, outcrops and, and, you know, shallowly buried reefs in a scenario where we can mine them in an oxide, uh, so basically a, a, a very well oxidized environment. Very simple mining techniques. If you want to look, learn more about what we're, how we're approaching this, I would suggest looking at recent news releases. But uh, we're looking at something that does not require drilling and blasting. It's a free dig uh, kind of environment. It's very soft rock. So uh, with simple equipment and for relatively cheap cost, we anticipate being able to mine these things. Um, the gold in them is, is quite coarse. Uh, it's separ- it's easily, easily separable using gravity recovery. So we envision a gravity treatment on these rocks and um, producing our gold in a very, very cost-effective way. I know, I know that you're doing some test mining now. How's that going? Okay, so we actually have completed the test mining. A, a few weeks ago, I announced that, that we completed our uh, processing component of that. There's two stages to this test mine. One was the actual mining itself or the extraction of the bulk sample. Uh, the way we did that <clears throat> was we we went up and, and cut a bench in one of these hills so that the reef is basically a few meters below surface. We went in with the bulldozer, removed overburden, and then it, and basically unroofed the, the horizon that we were targeting. And then we went in with an excavator and carefully dug out the, the mineralized material. We dug 30,000 tons and then put it down in a, a pile, a sock pile, uh, near a small gold plant that we had purchased you know, a few months back. And, and then we crushed up the material and put it through uh, this gold plant and recovered the coarse gold, the easy-picking gold, we'll call it, mm-hmm. out of this uh, material. Now, the goal of the processing exercise is really to, to confirm or to affirm the, uh, the grades of these reefs. Mm-hmm. The biggest challenge with the deposit is that it's quite nuggety. And because there are nuggets of gold, it's very difficult to evaluate grade. Mm-hmm. You need a big, big sample to do this. So that's the reasoning behind taking this bulk sample. And we process this. We, we effectively remove that coarse gold. There's still gold tied up in the, the tailings. This is not, you know, I want to make it very clear. This is not how we're going to process things in a commercial sense. This is simply a like a big science experiment. Um, but we recovered the coarse gold out. There's gold in the tailing. So what we have to do is we have to also ask that the tailings, and that way we can, uh, you know, mathematically we can recombine what we produce with what's in the tailings and come up with a what's called a calculated head grade, uh, which is a, a true estimate of how much gold is in the rock. So the, the number that we're going to release here in a few days or maybe a couple of weeks, the, the assays are slow to come back, but that number is uh, going to tell us what the grade is, and we, we can then compare it to what we predicted the grade would be based on our drilling. So it'll be quite interesting to see how this pans out. We're optimistic that it, the, um, 
calculated head grade will be higher than the predicted grade based on the drilling. Yes, um, and that's going to be in another few weeks, maybe um, maybe middle of January, something like that, possibly. I think I think we'll see the number before then. Uh, this is the seventh today. Um, we have another probably good productive week here in in Australia. People tend to start taking off for Christmas around the middle of the month. But I'm hopeful to have those uh, final assays from the tailings back shortly. And if if so, I'll I'll put them out uh, say next week. If uh, if there's a delay of some sort, it, it could be after Christmas. But I'll I'll hedge my bets. I think yeah. I can get them out. Yeah, it would be a nice Christmas present, especially if it comes in uh, as anticipated higher than than the uh, earlier assays. Well, I guess people can keep up with this by going to your website and also probably get on your mailing list, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, I would encourage people to look at our most recent presentation. It's updated. It shows photos of, of the trial mining and processing exercise. It shows uh, some images of our drilling and, and uh, recent drill success at Blue Spec. Uh, so I'd encourage people to look at that. Um, but yes, get on our mailing list. You'll, you'll get regular updates as we release news. All right, so once we have that number, we'll have a better sense of what the average grades may be for this oxide material, this near-surface material that I guess you're hoping to uh, produce from at some point in the in the not-too-distant future. I know, Quentin, you had been looking at putting together a PEA, uh, but you are still working on the PEA, and I guess this getting a good handle on, on the grade of your resource is one of the first steps to that. But do you anticipate having a PEA sometime earlier in the, in the new year? Yes, correct, Jay. Look, we're moving Beaton's Creek towards Bur- production. Uh, as soon as we get this data, we plan on completing that economic study. The uh, <clears throat> I should make it very clear, we've already done most of the work for this study. We're simply filling in a few details with, with what we determined for grade, as well as some of the costs and other things we learned about uh, the deposit while we were mining it. So we uh, we should be able to complete that without issue early next year. Oh, I'm really looking forward to that, of course. Uh, your, your share price has been a little bit weak lately. It's been, actually, it's uh, as I was saying, it's about half of the price it was earlier in the year. That's uh, very common for most junior mining companies, but uh, are there any other factors that may be leading to some weakness at the moment that might give people an opportunity to pick some shares up right now, Quentin? Yes, look, I I can actually give some insight. So um, about maybe two and a half months ago, we did hit a high in I think around $1.80. We're currently trading around 90 so you're right, it's about half. Uh, What we've seen here in the past week or so is private placement that we did back in July. We actually had a couple of tranches closed, uh, but the, the four-month hold has come off on that. So uh, there's some participants in that placement who decided to exit the stock. It's uh, you know certainly created a buying opportunity for some people. I know savvy investors are always looking for opportunities for entry, and sometimes these are good moments to do it. One more note yet before we conclude our discussion for today, Quentin. Newmont Mining has been a big shareholder. You have some other major shareholders. Uh, the float is still, what, maybe 50% or? Are less than 50% of the shares outstanding? Yeah, the free float's about, uh, if you add up all the insiders, you know, Newmont, uh, the prospector here in Australia, Creasy, and, uh, you know, other insiders, we've got about 51 or 2%, I believe it is. So, yeah, uh, yep, it's very so, tightly held. Right, very tightly held. And so, uh, well, I, we're really looking forward to 2017. Of course, uh, that little Christmas present in terms of the grades, hopefully, before Christmas, that would be great. Uh, but in any event, Quentin, I want to thank you very much. Anything else you'd like to, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we conclude our discussion today? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, comment about the overall gold market. I think everybody's been caught a bit by surprise uh, the latter part of this year. 
um, you know, seeing gold come off fairly sharply after the election it was certainly a wake-up call for, for a lot of us in the gold mining industry. But, um, you know, I think from my perspective, we have, we've got a very, very strong project at Beaton's Creek. We think it, it's potentially a very high-margin project. So we are, uh, you know, aggressively pursuing that path. We're going to move forward, get this thing, um, you know, advance it through economic study and then hopefully towards production in 2017. Well, it should be an exciting year for Novo, and uh, frankly, I think the gold markets are uh, are bottoming here. At least, uh, I, I don't think that's just wishful thinking. Our Michael Oliver is of that opinion, uh, and certainly his momentum work has been very, very accurate. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that one. But I, I'm, I'm more confident, you know, in what you're doing there, Quentin, because um, step by step, I've been watching this for a number of years now, as you know. All the best to you and your team as you head into 2017. We'll look to talk to you again sometime soon. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks. Folks, well, don't go away. We're going to come right back with Andrew McGuire, the whistleblower. He's blowing the whistle on the silver and gold markets, uh, London trader. Uh, he's going to have some very interesting things to say, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Andrew McGuire. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Speck Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSRPF respectively. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Andrew McGuire. Now, most of you, no doubt, know Andrew, know of him at least, uh, but his bio is so remarkable. So for the sake of those of you who may not be that familiar with me, let me tell you that in 2009, Andrew decided to go public and provide evidence to the U.S. regulators relating to fraud and price manipulation uh, in the Uh, in the gold and silver markets. And that put Andrew at the epicenter of a storm for exposing what could be the largest fraud in history involving countries, banks, and government leaders. Indeed, just recently, uh, Deutsche Bank admitted to price manipulation in the silver market, I believe it was, uh, and they uh, are paying $38 million to to some people who have sued them for uh, price manipulation. Uh, but with that, uh, you know, a huge number of emails uh, were were released along with the uh, along with the fine. Uh, emails are at least um, 
discussions between traders who colluded to, pr- to fix prices. Also, audio files have been released as well, uh, according to a, a report that I saw on Bloomberg the other day. Uh, so this is getting really interesting, and I guess a lot of people may be looking to some of that information for future lawsuits as well. Andrew uh, is actually currently advising various law firms who are involved in bringing justice uh, to these criminal acts against these people that have uh, have wronged others in trade, and he sits on the advisory board of the Allocated Bullion Exchange uh, and is a consultant and advisor to many international hedge fund managers, bullion banks, directors, and metal traders globally, all of whom rely on his highly recognized field of expert market analysis and incredibly accurate ability to forecast. Thanks for joining me again, Andrew. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Jay. Always good to have you with me, and I want to mention that uh, a website where people can go to learn more about what you're all about, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's just simply andrewmaguiregoldtrading.com, right? That is correct. Yes, Jay. All right. Well, um, interestingly enough, the settlement that Deutsche Bank just recently made, $38 million, uh, and that, I guess, was here in New York where that took place. Uh, and I see that in addition uh, to, the, to the payment, to the fine, they uh, were required to release some 350,000 pages of documents and 75 audio tapes, according to Bloomberg Television, and they reported on this the other day. And it really showed that, uh, in this case, I guess it was Deutsche Bank and UBS. Uh, UBS was involved somehow. I guess the different traders were colluding and fixing the price. Um, Deutsche Bank, uh, I think, but also, in addition to Deutsche Bank and UBS, Barclays Bank and HSB, HSBC were, were named as, uh, as possible uh, banks that were involved in this mess as well. Um, what what can you tell us about what what's your read of this and how important is this uh, is this thirty eight million dollar uh, fine because it seems to me that's sort of chump change for the big boys for these big banks and you know, no one's going to jail it just seems like it's kind of the same old same old where banks do criminal acts and they get off scot free that's kind of a cost of doing business for them it would seem. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, in this case, though, I think that we have going to get a bit of traction. I think um, uh, this discovery process was pretty much unprecedented. No one one was expecting to to be able to get discovery on these banks. And and lifting that lid, um, it it really does expose an enormous rabbit warren of collusion. Now, Deutsche Bank uh, did a deal with the regulators uh, and essentially got immunity from um, uh, official uh, action, but I mean, really, uh, as far as the civil suits are concerned, they're wide open. And um, so Deutsche Bank threw all the other buses under the uh, all the other other banks under the bus, uh-huh. um, and um, and and really to to get that um, to that sort of protection from the regulatory uh, 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 sort of uh, charges. But um, these thousands of documents really are just the tip of the iceberg. Um, what we're seeing here is really just a tiny fraction of what I gave to the regulators over five years ago. Uh-huh. And, and at a time when, uh, especially in the silver market, where they came back and said um, that they could find no evidence. Now, <laughs> it, but, but here's, here's the amusing part. Just think about how brazen these traders were willing to share jailable, collusive 
statements amongst each other, texts, uh, phone calls amongst each other. It just shows you how immune they felt uh, mm-hmm. from any kind of pursuit. And mm-hmm. but 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 Jay, these are just the fools who got caught. What about the well-organized traders? Who were, and I'm talking about the big, the biggest trading banks here that everyone knows. Uh, who were, and they continue. These guys continue to be more careful. I mean, they don't trade. Uh, they don't uh, put anything down in in writing. Uh, these guys meet and uh, have done for many, many years, and we know that. And that's part of the evidence I gave, and where and where they meet, and how they discuss these things, and how they communicate. Now, these are just the fools who got caught. Just wait until the finger pointing starts, though, because. You, you can just imagine um, these individual traders. Now, when the regulators, the, the regulators reached a point where how can they not act? I mean, you know, we're talking about laws that have been broken, jailable offenses. Uh, and so really someone's going to need to get charged here at some point. Mm-hmm. Now, even if they, if they start to concentrate on the individual traders, then you can bet your life. They'll try and seek some sort of deal, p- 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 some sort of pleading situation where uh, they'll just literally point the fingers at the other banks that they and the traders that they know are acting. And even those that were not part of this uh, of this, um, th- these email chains and these telephone calls, but there's a lot more to come out. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think uh, this is going to end up, to answer your question, where is this going to go? Well, it's going to ultimately, this could cost not just billions. It, it, when you consider that there are derivatives involved yeah. uh, of, of the coal price, and you can you imagine that there are producers here who over the last decade alone have been forced by their financing bullion banks, who are the same guys who have been trading against these guys, to forced to sell or forward sell to obtain financing based upon a price that's been rigged against them. Now, mm-hmm. these guys, if they, any good lawyer is going to come back and say, well, hold on a minute, look, not only have we lost this We've also, what about the derivative exposure we've been exposed to uh, and the lawsuits that are going to come out cannot be stopped. This is going to, I probably end up with banking licenses being pulled. Wow, that's that's pretty remarkable. I mean, I, when you think of it, so you think maybe some of the big mining companies, I mean, you think about some of these huge mining companies that have been forced to sell their their product at prices that are artificially low, but how would you ever be able to know how much lower they are than the market price would be given this ongoing manipulation that's gone on for year after year, decade after decade, essentially. Yeah, and I think, and again, here's the here's the issue. <clears throat> what, which, you know, do you go up, if you if you owe your bank money, do you go up and, and blow the whistle on him knowing he can pull your mortgage, uh, pull, mm-hmm. your, uh, pull your account? Um, of course. So, the key thing here is is that for these for these producers to come out of the woodwork, what they need to do is have alternate financing in place, and, and I think that is one of the things that um, we we're working on uh, with the uh, allocated bullion exchange, mm-hmm. and that's one of the benefits, uh, an institutional benefit where uh, we can we're, we're organising financing situations that it, that 
that uh, operate outside the legacy banking system as we know it, uh, where, and if you, as you know, I mean, when we come to the fixes, and these, these lawsuits relate to the fixes, but there are many, many other cases where simply um, it's not just the fixes that were being colluded on. It's it's been it's sort of targeted levels where stops were visible. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to relate directly to a fix, although this case relates to that. But essentially, these these um, when you're a producer. And your 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 financing bank of maybe half a dozen financing banks that are really big in the business, and uh, they then throw your product in at market uh, into a fix that has been groomed lower, um, and so forget all, forget all the lawsuits about about what money's been lost, but essentially it's left these these uh, producers being literally forced forced to literally eat the price that they were mm -hmm. given mm -hmm. and yet there's only there's only five to seven tons of producer sales hitting the lbma the the global bullion markets in london every day yet there is a huge amount more uh, uh volume now being transacted outside the legacy system and what we're seeing is is liquidity being sucked out of this old legacy system into a much more liquid physical banking, uh, physical uh, marketplace where financing is becoming available to producers outside of the legacy system. So I think big, big changes happening in 2017. All right. So you're talking about uh, the Shanghai Exchange, and I, I guess maybe there's some others over in Asia where they are literally a 100% bullion exchange, right? Well, exactly. And if you want to trade, uh, for example, SGE, for example, or or, or or the allocated bullion exchange that I that I um, advise for, I mean, you literally, if you want to trade, you have to have a bullion in place before you sell it, uh, mm -hmm. and. You you have to. And when you're a buyer, it's T plus zero. You own it. Uh, so you know the the games cease right at the at the at the source. Now, if you you can't add synthetic amounts of gold that you're not prepared to deliver or have not already delivered into the exchange. So big big difference to what we're seeing. So. Uh, you mentioned premiums. I mean, the SGE fix is now front running the AM London fix, and we're mm -hmm. seeing a. A currently seeing a very large positive arbitrage effect influencing and dragging London spot up. Now, we see the spread narrowing and people say, yeah, but look, the price is collapsing. Price would be a lot lower if this was not the case. Now, mm -hmm. Jay, we're witnessing consistent SGE premiums over London spot of between 30 and $35 per day. Now, let's oh, just, okay. So let's think about that for just for one second. So, so over the last two weeks, we've evidenced these consistent, and we're not talking about one day here and a day there, consistent premiums over London spot of between 30 and 35 bucks. Now, last Thursday, this is a, this is a bit of insight because I, I'm obviously in the wholesale business. Last Thursday, I reported a 55-ton gold delivery into the SGE from our refiner at a $36 premium to the prior day's Wednesday's GLD closing price. Now, mm. again, on the next day on Friday, I reported a similar large direct from refiner sale to the SGE. Now, these transactions are just what I'm aware of, and they reflect over 100 tons between Thursday and Friday of last week. 
Now, what they reflect is under-the-radar flows from other sources, and this illustrates how widely disseminated rumors of China restricting gold import licenses are not as dramatic as spun. Now, if there are import license restrictions, these orders are quite clearly being fulfilled by some of the other 15 license importers. But, I mean, really, you know, if you're, you're talking, just imagine for one second, 50 tons at 30 bu bucks above spot even accounting from the, for the refining from 995 purity to 49's purity, even accounting for that cost, that's 45 million bucks profit. Right. That's a huge incentive for some of the LBMA bullion banks to break rank, scoop up all the officially driven, low-priced, unallocated gold they can. And, and we've seen this on every past occasion. Mm -hmm. And so... This time, we have, we're not seeing $50 premiums like we saw in 2013 when we hit the lows. But by crikey, Jay, we're looking at a situation here where it's pretty obvious that the, 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 the paper and the physical marks have bifurcated to, to, a, to a big degree. Well, I would, I would think, Andrew, that um, you know, the fiduciary responsibility of, of, of the CEOs of these mining companies would require them then to deliver their gold into... Uh, into the, um, let's say they're unencumbered gold, the gold that they have not already committed to pay back their gold loans or whatever, that they would be required almost um, ethically to sell into the Asian markets. Absolutely. And, and, and then, so now we're talking just China, but now we're looking at, if we just turn for one second to the international facing exchanges that are pure physical, that require you to put the physical up front uh, or a producer to, to lodge the physical before it's sold. Um, now, you know, you just factor the effect. Um, and, and of course, I'm talking about the allocated bullion exchange uh, and the effect that is going to have on the paper markets. Now, now, I'm going to leave the upcoming hard launch because that's big news uh, for the gold industry. And I'm going to leave that to Tom, the CEO, to talk to you about on your program in the early new year. But, Jay, this is a game changer. Uh, and it's going to break up the monopoly of the current actors that their current actors have in the, in the precious metals markets. Now, the, the key thing about this, and, and I've, I know that you've, you have plenty of guests who have talked about retail solutions, which are brilliant, fantastic to see uh, uh, retail gold, silver being available to people uh, on a retail level, making life easy to, to, for people to purchase this. And it's, it, it leeches fractional reserve gold out of the hands of the controlling LBMA banks. But an institutional solution, and I'm talking about where size, where a producer can swap his gold from one location to another through a centrally clear exchange and never been heard of and and it's not in existence today and and it only since the launch of the allocated bullion exchange and the hard launch that's coming up that we're going to see a major change in the the way gold is traded in the future all right so is the allocated bullion exchange and going to be marketing its services to the big mining companies perhaps so that they're very much aware of the premium they can get by selling into the asian markets 
Yeah, and we estimate up to $25 an ounce premiums uh, based upon the lack of the, the lack of friction that they uh, that they receive in their through their current legacy system. And, uh-huh. and I mean that is a huge incentive. And of course, its key thing is 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 the financing process as well. Uh, you're not going to go to your banker and say, "I want to take a bit of my business away." They'll say, "Right, we take we don't want any of your business." So you know, again, it's all part of this process, and it's part of the process. Of of what, I, what Tom was talking about on the hard launch, where that set, although we're physically, uh, although we are f- uh, sort of soft launch, the hard launch is coming. And I think this is what this what's going to change the industry from an institutional level. When is that scheduled? Um, well, uh, I think when Tom will give you the exact deadline uh, in uh, when he when he comes. I know that we're scheduled in January. Yes, um, uh-huh. early January. So um, I'll leave the. the I'll let, let him. Uh, I'll, I'll leave him the thunder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it seems to me that if uh, if gold is not any longer going to the LBMA or Comex or wherever these sort of fraudulent, fake paper market um, exchanges, that if they are absent gold completely, at what point then does that really expose them for the fraud that they've been? Well, I I think this is the point is is that with the 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 trillions of dollars of derivative bets that appear to be offside that are quite clearly offside um, that have been accrued over the last uh, at least ten to fifteen years, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't see any back door for that. So I can't see any other way other than a a paper price reset. There is no other solution, uh, and that just simply means someone at one weekend is going to is going to close the market, reopen it at a different price. Anyone who's not got physical, anyone who's in the unallocated paper markets, will be settled for cash on the prior close. It'll open up at another price, and Jay, God knows what that is. I I have, couldn't even yeah. guess what yeah. that real price is. Yeah, it, it's impossible to know, of course, but it it just you know strikes me that a lot of these people are buying. ETFs or whatever they're buying paper uh, derivatives of the gold, thinking they actually own gold, don't they? I mean, they actually think they own gold. Uh, they're people that are buying uh, GLD and things like that. They actually believe they own gold, and yeah. they don't realize that it's possible to double yeah. own that, uh, yeah. to short it. Uh, they don't understand that at all. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in it. So when that day comes, uh, it's it's going to be Katie bar the door, and as you say, it's it's impossible to know what price it will be. I think it's fair to say it's not going to be lower, though, from these levels. <laughs> Absolutely not. And where are we? December the third, two thousand fifteen, uh, and two th- and December the seventeenth, two thousand and fifteen is where we made the lows. Uh, what we're heading for is a rate hike tomorrow. Yes, yeah, face saving rate hike. Um, we had the same thing last year. Sell the news event. A big rally coming. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, what do you make of what's going on uh, with three minutes left here uh, in India? Um, you know, with Modi making it illegal to own paper, money even, uh, are Indians scrambling for gold now? And, and if that's the case, might he not try to make that illegal and throw all the paupers in jail? Well, yeah, and you can you can uh, you can shut down the official market. Um, the the this, this black market in India is enormous, and what this has done, these capital controls, what they've done is essentially uh, made every single Indian now not trust 
any official uh, banknotes. They will never address. Uh, they will never trust an Indian banknote again. And it's this experiment's backfiring uh, badly. But I think that this is part of a central plan. Trial balloon. Try it out in India. See what happens. It's backfiring. The smuggling. The the black money. We say black money. It's just the money that's avoiding tax. Is yeah. is moving into into the unallocated market. We're seeing we're seeing twenty. Well, the World Gold Council says twenty to thirty tons a month of smuggled gold. We're seeing that expend to forty to forty five tons a month uh, with the amount of uh, of uh, money that's being now attracted to the black market. Uh, simply, they weren't even that wasn't even there before. People are avoiding scrutiny all right well i i did ask you a couple of weeks ago before the election actually i said if are we going to hold 1200 and if we don't uh what then and your answer was um i don't think we're going to go below 1200 but if we do it's going to be very brief so how do you define very brief well, I think that um, that we've we've reached a point where we're we're so synthetically oversold uh, versus the physical market. With the premiums are telling us that this is an overextended flush of hot money uh, that uh, needed to be rinsed out. And I see us moving it after FOMC. I see us um, starting a huge rally. We're going to have a very volatile FOMC day, but I then see us retaking the thir- the twelve hundreds, the thirteen hundreds as we move into two thousand seventeen. Well, we'll leave it there on that optimistic note. Uh, Thank you very much, Andrew, for being with us again. And we do want to revisit the allocated bullion exchange story. That looks like a very important one. And uh, so we'll look to to talk to you and Tom sometime early in 2017. Thanks again for being with us today. Thank you very much, Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to have Dan Oliver. He's going to be with us to talk about, well, he's making some analogies of Donald Trump and Herbert Hoover. He says the market conditions are very similar now, unfortunately, uh, for Mr. Trump as they were early on uh, for Mr. Hoover. And, uh, well, well, we'll see what he has to say about that. It's an interesting thesis anyway. Uh, but Don, uh, Dan is also very much a gold bull and understands that gold did very, very well during the 1930s. So even if that's the outlook, uh, there's reason for optimism if you're long on gold. So, uh, I hope that you'll be back next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.